Welcome to the Talking Tall Rounds series, brought to you by the Seidel and Arnold Miller Family Heart, Vascular and Thoracic Institute at Cleveland Clinic. Good morning. Welcome to the Heart, Vascular and Thoracic Institute Tall Rounds. This is a very interesting topic and very challenging of patients with aortic valve and root surgery, particularly when they are young. We have a very a solid panel today to discuss these issues and cover multiple aspects. We're going to start with uh, Dr. Joshua Cohen, one of our uh, fellows, and he's going to present one case to illustrate the issue. I'm part of the imaging section. I'm not a pathologist. That uh, goes to my homonymous, uh, Dr. Rene Rodriguez. We're going to deal with, um, with the topic of pathology and uh, if we should operate these patients early, as was uh, mentioned in the prior case. So as, as you know, and the case just presented, this pathology can be uh, seen in young adults and also children. And this often caused by either hereditary or genetic conditions. This is a, a short list of, of that. Marfan syndrome and bicuspid aortic valve probably constitute the bulk of the practice of uh, adult cardiologists dealing with uh, aortic root pathology and associated uh, valvular heart disease, but the list is, is fairly long and, and has uh, specific uh, features that, uh, in, in, in each of them. In uh, some cases, the aortic root is as an isolated uh, finding, but in many, it's associated with uh, valvular heart disease. In young adults, there is predominantly regurgitation, and in the cases of bicuspid valve, the mechanism is uh, prolapse often, but also could be present thickening deformity and restriction of uh, these leaflets, uh, making the repair much more difficult. If the patient has uh, aortic root dilatation and trilithlet valve, the usual mechanism of the uh, valve lesion is again regurgitation, mostly due to dilatation of the auric annulus, sinotubular junction, and the, the whole root itself, pulling apart the leaflets and causing uh, most of the time central, often severe um, uh, aortic insufficiency. I don't want you to memorize all this, but this is uh, some of the genes, so most of the genes that has been associated with orthopathies. Uh, this is obviously the, the, the one of the most common uh, uh, discovered as a cause of the uh, vascular problems in Marfan uh, patients. Uh, this gene is associated with fibrillin 1 uh, problems, but also uh, the, the pathways of the transforming growth factor beta uh, present in the Lewis Ditt syndrome but also in patients with bicuspid aortic valve, uh, some uh, will have uh, uh, associated uh, abnormalities in this uh, particular gene. These genes uh, are involved in, in, in a different level. This is uh, in the extracellular matrix protein, but also the transmembrane protein. And uh, again, the, the, the list uh, continues uh, a very long. ACTA2 is also another, um, another gene that has been associated with non-syndromic uh, aortic uh, aneurysm. Uh, but also pay attention that in patients, for instance, like Lois Dietz and also Elidandlos, there are multiple genes that have been associated with this uh, pathology and then uh, again causing multiple abnormalities. Uh, I'm not going to go into detail again. Uh, this is the, the realm of pathologies, but even though this gene has been uh, clearly identified, the final pathway that causes uh, aortic uh, pathology and also the systemic feature is not that well understood and involve again multiple uh, pathways. Importantly, again, the, the TGF beta and, and also um, other uh, pathways like the fibrillin abnormalities. Despite all the research is done, the role, what the specific role of TGF beta remains controversial. 
uh, and not to uh, uh, all paper mention if this is protective, is actually harmful or, or indifferent. So this is a lot of research and the understanding of the final expression of this gene is, is a matter of, of active research. It's important to us uh, see this group of patients uh, in, in two categories. One is what is called syndromic patients when they have associated systemic uh, abnormalities. Again, the classic example is uh, the Marfan syndrome that in addition to the aortic uh, pathology, have mitral valve abnormalities and also skeletal abnormalities also present in the Lois Dees and, and Turner syndrome. The non-syndromic are, are those familial forms of orthopathy, but without systemic features. Bicuspid valve is one of them, and the familial thoracic aneurysmal dissection should be another cause of uh, uh, isolated or, or mostly uh, limited uh, to vascular problems and no systemic issues. Again, uh, I'm not a pathologist, so uh, Dr. René Rodriguez usually shows spectacular pictures. I'm going to go for cartoons, but this is uh, the, the, the usual composition of the wall of the aorta. is the intimate layer, usually a single cells that communicate what is going in the uh, blood uh, environments to, to, to the rest of the wall. The media, which is uh, important as the, the architectural uh, backbone and provide all the, uh, the mechanical properties of the aorta, uh, is composed of elastic uh, fibers, collagen, uh, uh, um, uh, also small, small cells, and then uh, the adventitium. The, the, the main finding in common on these patients is uh, middle degeneration. The, the, uh, the specific composition and how these uh, different anomalies vary among uh, these patients, but in general, all these uh, uh, patients will have uh, profound anomalies in this, in this medial uh, layer. Uh, the old terms has been uh, changed, and this is the new nomenclature, uh, come from the consensus where uh, René Rodriguez and Carmela Tan were part of this. And again, the, the old uh, names of cystic median degeneration has been, uh, have been tried to change to more descriptive. But in general, there is uh, this mucous extracellular matrix accumulation, there are abnormalities and collapse of the elastic fibers, apoptosis uh, of the smooth cells, and uh, again, in general, um, abnormalities in this area. Uh, uh, the laminal unit, which is the fundamental uh, uh, com uh, composition of the aortic wall, is uh, abnormal not only in patients with Marfan syndrome and Lewis Dietz, but also in bicuspid aortic valve. Again, when there is a, a destruction or uh, alteration of these this, uh, um, this, um, layers. And this is an example of what was used to be called this cystic medial necrosis, and this, uh, this pool of um, of proteins here that uh, it may uh, alter the laminal structure of the aortic wall. Now, should, do we operate or should we operate uh, early in young patients as opposed to follow the natural history uh, in these patients? So I think for clinicians and imagers, uh, we, when we think about the timing of intervention, we look at what is the predominant lesion. Is that the aneurysm of the valvular lesion with aortic insufficiency or stenosis? Do we think that this patient has an increased risk of uh, dissection or rupture? And we look at that specific syndromic uh, features that may increase the risk. Also, if there is family history of aortic rupture. And finally, obviously important for the decision, can we keep the native valve of the patient offer alternatives uh, for long-term survival uh, free of events? And again, favoring early surgery is the fact that uh, this is, uh, we want to prevent this cumulative 
cumulative risk of the dissection, the varies according the, the, to, the, to the pathology, and also prevent uh, a permanent damage for negative remodeling uh, LV dysfunction in patients with severe aortic insufficiency or stenosis. And favoring delaying surgery, of course, is the intrinsic surgical risk. This is a population that are young, and in general, the, the risk is not very high. And, and in, in big centers like ours, it's actually very low. And of course, if you, if you have to replace the valve, is to the long-term durability and anticoagulation issues of this valve. And this balance uh, help us to decide what is the best timing for this surgery. Again, uh, in terms of one to the side, uh, you can see here that um, that this patient present relatively young with a dissection, and therefore uh, we want to avoid exposing to this patient. And the incidence of dissection varies widely. You can see here at the bottom that the auric uh, bicuspid valve is 0.1, which is, seems low, but remember there are thousands of patients with bicuspid valve, so the absolute number of patients presenting with bicuspid valve and dissection is actually high given the, 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 the incidence of data. And again, what are the criteria for inter inter intervening this patient? Varies according to the society that you that, that you looked at, but in general, it tends to be uh, a little bit lower compared to uh, degenerative uh, uh, valvular uh, uh, orthopathies. So again, there is a tendency to to deal with that this patient early. Now, if you can be uh, uh, spare the valve, this is a topic that Dr. Svensson is going to, to deal with. This is great because the, the durability is excellent. Or other alternatives like the ROP procedure, Dr. Phillips is going to address that in great detail and help us again to choose the right therapy for this patient. My privilege to talk a bit about the reimplantation, connective tissue disorders, and bicuspid valves and give you an overview of what we can be doing. So in 2019, we did 1,300-odd aortic operations, and in 2020, it increased to 1,381, which is one of the rare areas where we saw growth uh, last year. And uh, we did do less reimplantations, however, uh, last year, so we went down to 112. But as of December last year, we'd done 1,000. 113 reimplantations with a mortality rate for elective surgery of 0.12%. Uh, Just to give you an overview also where we stand in the last decade of uh, cardiac valve surgery, um, in particular isolated aortic valve 0.3% mortality rate, and for TAVR a 0.6% mortality rate, about equal numbers there in total. But we've also done 4,680 aortic valve repairs, and that's what I'm going to concentrate on. Debbie and Leonardo touched a bit on when to operate. So the emphasis or impetus for this was that we found 15% of patients dissected less than 5 centimeters um, in, with Marfans in a study we did many years ago. And we came up with this ratio, the cross-section area to height of 10 as an indication for surgery in Marfans and also bicuspid valves. What that means is a shorter person gets operated at a smaller size. And here's the relationship of height and size of the diameter and dissection. And here's with the ratio. And so that takes out the effect of height on the risk uh, of uh, dissection. So as was mentioned, uh, Melinda Sai did this study looking at patients with a ratio greater than 10. They had a worse long-term survival. And it was even worse if it was the aortic root that was enlarged versus the ascending aorta, which is also in keeping with our bicuspid valve data. 
So this is a study of 1,181 bicuspid valves with an aorta above 4.7 centimeters that we followed, and the ratio was the best indicator of when to operate. So here's just in diameter terms, uh, at about five centimeters, the risk of aortic dissection starts increasing for the root and for the ascending aorta, somewhere around 5.2, 5.3 centimeters. Also to remind you that you can have dissections and tears that cannot be kept, picked up on usual imaging. And here's a localized tear right next to the left main in a patient who had classic symptoms of aortic dissection and was initially missed. And there, incidentally, we've repaired the bicuspid valve with figure of eight sutures. So why repair? Well, the uh, incidence of event-free survival at 10 years is about 50% in the, with the St. Jude's prosthesis. Doug covered the new onyx valve, which we think has a lot of promise, and that's why we're randomizing patients in the study against aliquist. If you look at pericardial valves, there's no difference over allografts with a, the higher failure rate in young people. So that's the reason here on powder blue why younger people, we particularly try and repair the valves. So how do we do it? The key to doing a successful aortic valve repair is looking at all these factors. And so we rely very much on our imaging colleagues uh, to tell us about this. So the keys are the commissures, leaflets, annulus, sinuses, and sinotubular junction to result in a successful repair. So let me run through some of this. Uh, this is a bicuspid valve with a figure of eight stitch. So originally I did a series of patients where I freed up the commissures and put them at a higher level in the ascending tube graft. And as far as I know, none of these patients have required a reoperation. But it was an operation that was a bit more complicated. So we started looking at a figure of eight suture at the leading edge of the commissures apart from the cabral sutures the pledges to hitch up the leaflets. And there's just the diagrammatic view, and we use clips so that the, the Gore-Tex sutures don't come loose. So here's a patient with application and a, a Cabral suture, and then the figure of eight sutures hitching up the leaflets, and you see they come up to a higher level. Here's a patient with reefing of the edge of the bicuspid valve. And here's a patient with a bicuspid valve with those repair techniques, and we're going to do a root remodeling operation where we cut a bevel into the ascending tube graft and then reattach that to the annulus. Here's another patient with reefing, figure of eights, and cabral sutures, and we use a Hagar's to make sure we don't cause aortic valve stenosis at the end of the operation. And this was a patient that you see nice symmetrical valves, and there's a remodeling operation in this particular patient. Our data shows that the more recent patients have better durability. Obviously, we don't have 15-year follow-up in the most recent patients, but it looks like we've improved things before bicuspid valves. Here's the tailoring operation where we repair a three-leaflet valve, and you see the figure of eight sutures there, and then separately put in a tube graft above the repair at the sinotubular junction, and we bring down the size of the sinotubular junction. What about reimplantation and the techniques we use for that? A critical part is making sure that the entire valve is freed up so it sits within the tube graft with the replacement. 
So here's a technique I started using, uh, modification of the Tyrone David operation that, that I started using in the uh, 1990s with pledgets in the left ventricular alpha tract. And there you see the intraoperative uh, picture. And then reducing the size of the annulus down to the patient's body surface area uh, with a Hagar's uh, for tying down the, the pledgeted sutures. Here's also a figure of eight suture with a nice symmetrical valve. And we aim to get about three to five millimeters of apposition to improve long-term durability of these repairs. So here's an example of a patient a couple of weeks ago. And you see there's some prolapse of the left-right uh, leaflets. And so we're putting in sutures here, figure of eight. So I'm doing this watching the TV screen because my camera was off focus and we're just putting that in there, and we're gonna put that figure of eight at the commissure, and then we're gonna hitch this up to a higher level, about three to four millimeters higher, and you'll see how this pulls up the apposition level to a higher point and creates just a better apposition of the leaflet. So there you see that, put a clip on that, and then we'll put some Look at that, and you see this nice apposition, nice symmetrical valve. So a lot of these patients have Barlow's valves. I had a patient last week, a severe mitral valve regurgitation and aortic valve regurgitation, root aneurysm, probably Marfan's, but not diagnosed. And these valves can be complicated to repair, and multiple techniques are used for these. In this case, cordal transfers and artificial cordy, and also the Cosgrove band. So as of uh, about a year ago, we had done 64 patients combined mitral valve repair and reimplantation, and there'd been no failures in that group of patients. And the patient I did the other day has no leak from the mitral valve, trace from the aortic valve, and is going home uh, probably today. So what about follow-up on these patients? Survival is not as good in the tailoring patients because it's an operation we use in older patients. Repair durability, well, we've had a couple of failures, not many with the reimplantation technique. This is a patient with Marfans, and they obviously have myxomatous valves, and the leaflets stretched over time. So this is one of our rare failures over time. So if you look at reoperation risks, they're about the same for those three techniques, but bicuspid valves have a higher risk of reoperation, and that's shown in this slide. So what about connective tissue disorder patients and young patients? We did a study 10 years ago of 178 patients with connective tissue disorders. Here's the breakdown of the types, Marfan's predominating, but Lowe's Dietz, Erdodanos, and others included. There were no deaths in that series of patients. What about effectiveness? So reoperation risk was 92% at six years, and this was in our early period of doing these patients, and that's become better. So as of December 2020, we'd done 214 patients and still no deaths for connective tissue disorder patients. And the preliminary data looks like we're going to be somewhere in the region of a 97% freedom from reoperation now at 10 years. What about long-term durability of all aortic valve repairs? So a few years we looked at this, including various techniques of bracing the aortic root, as I've described already. We used various leaflet repair techniques uh, listed here. So in the more recent patients, just over 1,000 patients, 
freedom from reoperation. So this is all comers, uh, four plus AI, for example, with no root. There was 90% at 10 years after surgery. In the patients that we used a figure of eight stitch, the durability was better. In the patients where we did root procedures, the results were also better. In other words, where we braced the aortic valve. And the matching to the age population was also excellent. More recently, we also compared reimplantation versus bentols. And less than 70 years, the mortality risk for reimplantations was 0.16 versus bentol, 0.22. And the freedom from reoperation and the reimplantations was 97% at 10 years. So thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Like what you heard? Visit Tall Rounds online at clevelandclinic.org slash tallrounds and subscribe for free access to more education on the go.